Welcome back to As the Prop Turns. I'm your host, Kat, and we are back with season two. We took the summer off. Did you miss us? We'll get ready for our regularly scheduled programming. And we have a new voice added to the podcast this season, my official co-host, Dan, who is the campus manager here at SFS. Many of you who attend Superior know Dan all too well. You know that he is a talker, so get ready for some witty banter and lots of sarcasm. We have some cool episodes planned for you guys. Season one, you know, we really focused on our guest speakers interviewing people, uh, fellow aviators, which uh, we will still have some special guests this season, but we are starting a new segment. Our new segment is called This Day in Aviation History, so for all you history buffs and aviation nerds out there, what a combo. Stay tuned. We have quite the treat for you. And as of the 22nd of September, it is officially fall. And uh, so summer is over, um, which is very sad. But, um, you know, those who live in Georgia know that that was our first summer. First summer is over. Now we have fall. We have fake fall uh, for the first few weeks. Then we'll have second summer and uh, it'll go back and forth for a while. Uh, And then winter will come. In the morning, it's winter. In the afternoon, it's summer. You never know what you're going to get, what to wear. Um, And then it's real winter. And uh, the great thing about flying in Georgia is that it gets cold. It doesn't get too cold. um, But you will want to make sure that you bring your gloves to your early morning pre-flights because, you know. Uh, But once you get up in the air, it's just smooth. And uh, if you've ever flown here in Georgia in the winter, you know. If you know, you know. Anyway, on today's episode, we will be starting with our very first um, aviation history segment. And then keep in mind that um, this is research that we've done ourselves. We've done this personally. So, um, you know, you can't believe everything you read on the Internet. So take everything with a grain of salt. But we do hope you enjoy. Dan, hello. Welcome welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Glad I could uh, interject myself into this grand old As the Prop Turns episode. Absolutely. So we will be starting with our first segment. Um, we're starting with today, October 6th. It is 1918, World War One. One month away from the war ending, we have two Medal of Honor recipients, First Lieutenant Harold Ernest Gotler. Gottler, I think. Gottler, okay. It was a valid, valid attempt at the name, but I definitely did cheat and listen to how to pronounce these names, because my goodness, I can't read, I can't write, but by golly, I'm not going to butcher the names. (laughs) All right, so uh, you said Gottler? Gottler. Gottler, okay, so Gottler, he was the the first commander, and then we have second lieutenant Erwin Russell Bleckley. Bleckley, that one is correct. Okay, okay. I would have questioned that, and I did question it, but it is Bleckley. All right, yes. Um, so he, uh, Blackley was of the 130th Field Artillery. And um, in this story that we're telling today, they were flying a DH-4 into the Argonne Forest. In Argonne, Argonne Ar- Forest. Argonne. Oh my goodness, okay. That's fine, it is Europe. <laughs> they had odd names and uh, they spell it all weird. Yeah, yeah. So Argonne Forest in France, uh, where the 77th Division had been cut off by the enemy. Yes, this was part of the uh, Mayu's Argonne Offensive of World War II. It was part of the larger 100-day offensive where there was multiple Allied 
offenses taking place to in hopes bring the end of the war which it did because right after this that's where armistice the armistice happened see there i go i can't say anything <laughs> but very shortly after i believe is october i forget the date off the top of my head but the war of world war one the great war was ended so talking about these two gentlemen gottler and bleckley they were as you said flying a dh4 which we'll talk about that later on and they had taken multiple flights, to a couple missions, but the one that involves the 77th Division, for those who may know history, that is the Lost Battalion, which we'll get back to talking about. So this would be part of the Mayu's Argonne Offensive of World War One. It was part of the larger 100-day offensive, which was a series of Allied offenses against the Axis forces in hopes to bring the end of World War One. And this was really one of the last offensive, one of the last operations that took place in World War I. It lasted about 47 days and ended on the armistice on November 11th, 1918. So this battle, it was interesting because it was actually the largest and deadliest battle that the U.S. Army has seen in its history. So it consisted about of 1.2 million soldiers. That's mixed of French and American and of that 1.2 about 122,000 were American casualties but focusing on just Godler and Bleckley um, Godler being the pilot and Bleckley being the air observer now the air observer was the secondary crew member in the DH-4 so he would have been riding in the rearward seat and have been manning the two machine guns that were placed there we'll talk about that later on but they were part of the 50th Aero Squadron of the Army Air Services. And as the Mayu's Argonne Offensive was occurring, as it was being brought out and fought, there was an infantry battalion, as you had said, the 77th, that had actually gotten surrounded by the German forces in the Argonne Forest. So what the 50th Air Squadron, their task was to carry out air resupply, so actually have air drops to this lost battalion, the surrounded battalion. And funny enough, this would be what the, I believe it's the U.S. Air Force, they list this as the first air combat airlift, or airlift combat, combat this airlift. This specific situation? This specific situation. Oh, wow. okay. We'll definitely cut out where I can't figure out if it's a <laughs> combat airlift. But this, this situation with the 50th, with Godler and Bleckley, it was the first combat airlift in history. So they were ordered to fly over the Argon Forest and try to locate and resupply, drop off supplies to the 77th or the Lost Battalion. And as they were doing this, of course, you know, the 77th, they're surrounded, there's Germans in the forest, they're shooting back, and it's a whole nine yards of mess. You know, they can't find them, they're dropping off supplies, but the Germans are getting it, the Americans aren't getting it. It, it was a mess of a thing. But they kept going back. So I believe that they had two missions where they flew on the very first one they left and then they came back just riddled like swiss cheese with just small arms fire in the aircraft they also had the joyous problem having spark plugs being fouled and giving engine roughness so they had to come back on the second flight which would be their last flight sadly they left and they were determined i believe it was quoted by blakely before they left that they would carry out the mission or die in attempt and we'll we'll talk about that later on. There there was many accounts of people who were there and part of the Lost Battalion talking about what it looked like seeing Gottler and Bleckley fly overhead. 
it was uh, quite the feat, quite the story from what you can read. I believe there was a book, um, Becky Tanner wrote one in 1991, and uh, it kind of reiterates somebody who was first-hand account talking about seeing it float through the terrain and over the treetops and getting shot at. It was just a very, very, would have been awesome to have seen that. But moving back, as Gottler was flying, he was flying extremely low too. I mean, just cruising over the tops of these trees, kind of flowing with the terrain as it rose and fell, um, trying to keep it fast and low so he wouldn't get shot down. Now, sadly, as they were on this second mission and flying low and fast as they were, they the Germans actually got a shot and hit Gottler in the head and killed him instantly. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, they're they're over the Argonne Force. They're flying low and fast. Pilot's shot in the head. And you had still had Bleckley in the back in his seat. So, luckily enough, when they actually crashed, they crashed into French-controlled territory. So, they didn't crash over the Germans or anything. They were able to get the plane over into friendly territory. So, when it crashed, of course, Gottler, he was already dead when they crashed. He was shot in the head. And Bleckley, he was found unconscious, really injured, unconscious. So he was actually picked up by the French and was put onto an ambulance to go to a field care, a field hospital. Sadly, he did die en route. So both of them, as I said, that was their last mission, their last flight to try to resupply the lost battalion. Really, really a shame. They both got distinguished service crosses for that. And it's interesting because believe of the air service there was only six distinguished service crosses that were given out and they were two of them and then they got later upgraded to the medal of honor in 1922 so looking at the aircraft that were the, they were flying that day the dh4 actually interesting kind of history behind that because it was originally designed by de havilland which absolutely classic love de havilland and all his work <laughs> um the DH-4 was chosen by the American government to be the very first combat aircraft. And funny enough, it was the only American-built aircraft, combat aircraft, to serve and be flown by Americans in World War One. So they had chosen it because of the quick um, turnaround time from production and the cost. Um, it was just a really well-designed plane all around. So they started crafting those, started making those, and they came out with about 1,200 that actually went overseas and served in World War One. And there was just some interesting um, differences between. So with the original design, instead of, and this, this just sounded terrible when I was reading it, they had 67-gallon fuel tank. Yeah. Except it was in between the two seats of the pilot and the air observer. So... They couldn't talk to each other through the fuel tank. And if you crashed, you were sitting atop of a fuel tank. Fuel, yeah. So it didn't really go well. So that was one of the many things that they actually changed when the Americans started producing this aircraft. They actually moved the fuel tank, I believe it was either to behind the air observer seat or actually in front of the pilot. I forget. I couldn't find a diagram on sure. it. but It was interesting that they did that. Another good thing to mention is actually the engine. They changed it from what was a V-12 Rolls-Royce Eagle to a V-12 Liberty engine, which is actually where they get the name for the DH-4 when it's the American variant. They called it the Liberty plane just because of the V-12 engine that they had. So it was a really, really awesome aircraft. Like I said, the Havilland, he just makes some great stuff. I love the look of the aircraft. 
So kind of talking about the armament and going back to that, they would have a Vickers machine gun facing forward, and then the Air Observer would have two Lewis guns on the back. So quite the payload on there as well. It had about 460 pounds of usable payload if they were to attach it to the external bomb racks. So really good plane all in all for being the first combat aircraft to be used in a war by the American Air Service. So another great thing to mention, and this kind of goes back and talking about the distinguishing of the two Medal of Honor recipients, Godler and Bleckley, and how they were of six to get the Medal of Honor. Um, the Liberty Plan, the DH-4, it was actually out of the six Medal of Honors given to aviators in World War One, four out of six were flying the DH-4. So that's kind of a testimony to how well of a built and designed aircraft that it was. Oh yeah. Well, one thing you didn't mention was, um, and I know we're talking about the early 1900s here, but the plane was uh, constructed of um, a wooden fuselage. Oh yeah, it was all wooden. And yeah. doped in fabric. So not only were the uh, the fuel tanks right there, but it, it was made out of extremely flammable material. Yeah, it definitely did not help. Definitely did not help at all. It was just interesting. I think that all the wood, something like spruce, it, w it was an interesting read, and I didn't get too far into it because I try not to be a lumberjack and read into, you know, wood cutting down <laughs> history, but it was all spruce wood that they cut, and they wanted a specific kind of spruce tree, and I think that it was... I think it was Kansas or somewhere somewhere about Midwest where they actually were operating lumber yards with people who were in the army and I think it was like 300,000 and all they did was just work these lumber yards and just chop down spruce trees and make the planes so that's interesting kind of, kind of interesting but like I said I didn't get too far into that just because I want to be acting like too much of a lumberjack <laughs> All right, well, that was a very interesting uh, little piece of history there, but we're going to take a quick break, and then when we get back, we are going to introduce the story of Jackie Cochran, who is the woman of many firsts in aviation. All right, we are back. Um, so let's go ahead and jump to 1961. Let me set the scene for you. It's October 6, 1961, and we are in the deserts of California at Edwards Air Force Base. At 55 years old, Jackie Cochran sets the Federation Aeronautic International world record for speed over a closed circuit of 100 kilometers, which is just over 62 miles without payloading in a Northrop... Northrop. Northrop. Yes, exactly. Close <laughs> enough. Everybody will know how to Google that. Uh, T-38A, that's the only important part. T-38A Talon. Um, she took the plane to a peak of 56,000 feet. Which is quite interesting that it's 56,000 feet just because as I was doing some uh, reading about the plane, turns out that the, uh, I believe, what would you call it, all you pilots... Service manual. The uh, service manual says that the max altitude is only 50,000 feet. So ah. she uh, pushed the limits by just a couple thousand feet there. That she did. But very interesting with that T-38. The T-38, it's a twin jet supersonic trainer. So it's actually used by the U.S. Air Force. And I believe it's the one of the last final steps that pilots in the Air Force have to go through to then fly jets. They actually fly the T-38 and get their 
what would you call it, supersonic training in. So very interesting. And then apart from the U.S. Air Force, NASA actually trains in them. And they do some interesting things. They have interesting missions that are uh, accomplished with the T-38. But uh, it is the first supersonic trainer, and it was the most produced supersonic trainer. And it's been flying for 60 years, so it's been going strong. Nicknamed the White Rocket, and for the sake that as it goes by, it looks nothing like a plane. just looks like a rocket zipping by. So the pilot and the instructor, just because it is a trainer and you would need an instructor, as many of you all know, to actually go train these planes, they sit tandem. And it was equipped with two General Electric turbojet engines. They produced about 3,000 pounds of thrust. And there was later variations that actually upped that and took it to 5,000 pounds of thrust. So um, they were moving just a little bit, just a little bit. A little bit crazy to think about how much energy was there. But like I said, they maxed the altitude of 50,000 feet, and it had a rate of climb of 33,000 feet a minute. Wow. So I believe that there was a few records broken, too, with it for fastest rate of climb. And this is a plane that's still used today. After yes. 60 years, this plane is still used today. Yep, by the Air Force and by NASA. So definitely interesting, interesting stuff. It'd be fun to fly that but i'm sure it's absolutely terrible on the wallet to pay for that fuel <laughs> yeah i wonder um how many gallons it burns per minute too many too many yeah that's 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 the correct answer for that too many gallons a minute well jackie just wasn't um she wasn't just known for setting this record she is a woman in aviation with many firsts she was the first woman to take off and land from an aircraft carrier she was the first woman to pilot a bomber across the North Atlantic. She was the first woman to fly a jet aircraft on a transatlantic flight, make an instrument landing, only female president of the Federation Aeronautic International Organization, and many, many more. She was also friends with Amelia Earhart and Chuck Yeager, two very different eras of aviation. So this woman was around for a very long time. And, you know, Jackie got to see many of the great evolutions of aviation and be such a huge part of its history. That's awesome. That That's definitely a lot of history. That's also a lot of firsts. It's mm -hmm. um, amazing to think about the amount of record set the amount of things done just by one person by one woman that's truly awesome yeah especially you know in her time being you know such a big part of the history as a woman is is really cool exactly it's also funny just to kind of visualize there and think about it that she knew amelia Earhart. because in my mind that's like ages ago right ages right ages ago that's what i'm saying and she she didn't die too long ago i believe it was like 20 2000-something. Yeah, it's wild to think how fast aviation has kind of progressed in terms of innovations and technology. Like, everybody back then was all steam gauges, all that fun stuff, and now right. I'm sending people out to go fly some glass cockpit Cessna, the uh, classic sty pigeon with all that stuff. It's, it's just crazy to think about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed our first episode of Season 2 and the very first of our series on this day in aviation history. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, reach out to us on Instagram. We have created 
a, um, a separate account just for As The Prop Turns. So you just search As The Prop Turns. And um, be sure to follow us. Stay updated on all things podcast related. We'll see you next week. I'm your host, Kat Granary, and thanks for listening to As The Prop Turns. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Anchor, for making all this possible. And of course, all of our listeners. Be sure to check us out on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Facebook, handle at Superior Flight School. And remember, keep the blue side up.